If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast show 314. Well, here's the thing. I have general contractors and I manage them and they manage the subs and everything else. Because when you get to scale your business to 5, 10, 15 deals at the same time, it's basically impossible for one person to deal with the, all the subs and invoices and all of that. So I manage the general contractors. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? This is Brandon, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with the co-host of the hour, or hour and 15 minutes, David Green. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Brandon. I'm off to a really good start in 2019. We have like eight houses in escrow right now in my Ooh. real estate agent business, and 
I'm um, pretty excited about that. And we have a tremendous show today. Today's tremendous. guest brought the heat like few people have. Yeah, it was fantastic. So our, our guest today is Andressa Gidelli. And Andressa is a uh, fantastic investor who is really, 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 really good at one thing that most of us really, 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 really suck at. And that's managing rehabs, contractors, finding them, getting them in line making sure you don't get ripped off. We cover all that, plus her just growth from getting started, from coming to the States, from being an immigrant to the US to growing this awesome business. It's fantastic. So definitely stay tuned for all of that. But before we get to that, let's get to today's quick, quick tip. tip. All right, so today's quick tip was actually brought up by today's guest where she mentioned that she worked for somebody for free, learned the business, and then went on. Actually, she paid money to work for them, then went on to earn way more money than she ever paid for her education. And many of us are willing to spend money on a college education, but we won't spend money to learn the trade that we want to get into. My advice is you find someone who's crushing it at what they're doing that you want to learn from, and you offer to work for them for free, knowing that what you're learning is much more important than what you could be earning. If you want to do this well, Start off by knowing yourself, just like today's guest. Andres is going to talk about how she knows her weaknesses and her strengths and offer that person something that has to do with your strength and see if that's something you can help out with. As you do good at a few projects, they'll start giving you a few more. And at a certain point, they'll realize, I want this person in my life. Yeah. Ryan's, or I'm sorry, Brandon's is doing that right now with his buddy Ryan, who's in Hawaii and is slowly taking over more and more of the stuff that Brandon has going on in his life and his business. I'm looking for the same thing. So if you want to learn from a rock star, Know the things that you yourself are good at. Offer to do it for that person for free. Prove yourself. Then you'll find yourself getting more and more opportunity. And then you can make a bunch of money. That's a great quick tip. And yeah, today's show is largely like, even if you don't care about construction stuff, like managing rehabs, like I'm almost everybody should know how to do that. But what the real goal that I got from today is what you just said about like finding somebody who's really good at something and not always working, doing everything yourself. Like you mentioned Ryan. So Ryan Murdoch, he's been on the Bigger Pockets podcast. He lives now in Maui with me. Like, he is really, really good at some stuff that I'm really, really bad at. And like, we're seeing a lot of growth in like in my business and his business because we're working together more often. David, you and I are the same way uh, in a lot of ways. We, we're just good at different things and that's great. And that's what today's show is really about. All righty. So let's get to today's show. As we mentioned today, we're, our guest is Andressa. But before we get in there, I wanted to make a couple of quick uh, announcements or maybe even a second quick tip. So I want to encourage y'all to get together with other real estate investors more often. So go to biggerpockets.com slash events, E-V-E-N-T-S, and see what's happening in your area, what event you can go to, where you can get connected. I know, David, you host an event like what, every month. So if you're in the every Bay Area- single- Three times a month at different places in the Bay Area. And I teach people high-level concepts for absolute free. Yeah, that's awesome. So definitely check that out. Also, uh, I'm going to be actually speaking at the Best Ever Conference. If you guys remember, Joe Fairless was on our show. He's hosting a conference called the Best Ever Conference in Denver on February 22nd and 23rd. I'm actually speaking there of 2019, of course. And so you all, if you, I don't know if it's sold out or not, but if it's not, you should totally come. And I will hopefully see you there. It should be a lot of fun. Again, in Denver, February 22nd and 23rd. All right. So let's get to today's show with Andressa. Andressa, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. Yeah. So let's talk about your story about how you got into real estate. So kind of walk us through the beginnings and, and what got you into investing in real estate. Sure. I always say that I started with a big, huge no in my face. I, I was born and raised in Brazil and I came to the U.S. for my master's degree, got approved by the university. And when I went to the embassy to get 
my visa, I got a big no. And awesome. then I turned around and I was like, okay, why is that? And they said, well, you need to show proof of funds. You need to show that you have $75,000 in your bank account in order to start here. And I was like, that's not happening at this moment, <laughs> right? But I knew people who did have the money. So we made an agreement and uh, they signed up for me. The family that hosts me over here, an American family, wrote a letter and showed proof of funds showing that they did have the funds in case I didn't pay, they were going to pay for me. After I, I started, I got a um, scholarship and thank goodness I did not have to pay a penny anymore. So I graduated with zero student loan. That's After awesome. that, I did a door-to-door -door sales. Very cool. Got tons of no's every single day until <laughs> I got my yes. Right. And one day I came to my manager and I said, hey, I want to take, you know, my team to the next level. Tell me about like a sales book that I can learn more about it. He's like, no. And I was like, why? If I make more money, you make more money. So I'm not getting it. He's like, no, I'm going to give you this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. I had no clue what he was talking about. And he's like, one week from now, you come to me and we talk. And that's what happened. And then at that time, they were doing workshops around and I went to one of them. My husband at that time was also interested in investing in real estate and within six months, we purchased our first house, rehab it, living in it, put, uh, took a HELOC out of it, and then start the journey. And here I am. All right. So there's a few things I want to unpack there. Let me, let me start with this, though. Before I get to that first deal, what brought you to the U.S. In, in, to begin with? Like, I don't even, like, like, why leave Brazil and come here? Sure. Some, some people ask me that question. It's such a beautiful country. And I have uh, an amazing family there. I didn't have to come here. However, I finished my business administration master's degree there and I didn't have a family. It was time for me to have a different type of experience. Okay. So I wanted to come here, improve my English. The plan was to stay here one year, understand the culture from my own eyes, not from a TV you know, a broadcast, all those perceptions and stereotypes that I had in my head. I wanted to have that experience in one year. However, in six months, I found a master's degree in business communication that I really enjoyed the curriculum and I decided to apply and here I am. But the plan was not to come and, you know, build my family and business here at all. Okay. All right. So, okay. So let's go to that first house. You bought a house and it's a house you lived in, correct? Yes, I still right. own it. I do Airbnb with a house still. Oh, okay, cool. So we can talk about that. But then you mentioned, you said you, you used a HELOC. Yes. What is that? Can you explain what that means? And yes. Process? Absolutely. I love to. So we bought the house for $175,000. We put about $65,000. Now the property is worth at about three eighty-five. dollars So at that time, we build equity with the rehab, was a full gut rehab. We build equity in the property and we were able to pull that equity out. 75% we pull out. At that time, it was a very funny story though. When we received the appraisal, it came at $25,000. And I was like, something is off. Let me read 
through the entire document, to the entire report and see how did he come up with that? Because on my number, it was higher than that. So I looked at the report that we had access to and I found a ton, a ton of mistakes there. And I wrote my own report, sent <laughs> it back to the bank, not knowing that if it was right or not, or if I could do that or not, contact the appraisal and say, hey, um, I found a couple of things here. Would you mind taking a look? And here's my report to you. That report came back at $68,000. That was the change, and that made a difference for us to buy the next uh, investment property. So from twenty-five thousand, we went to sixty-eight thousand dollars. Since then, I did that three times already. That's cool. That's a good idea. Good strategy. Challenging the appraisal a little bit to try to get them higher. Now, Andres, you've done that twice, right? Two different appraisals. I did that three times in three different appraisals. Okay, three times. So Brandon was three, right. Three, three different <laughs> properties. What have you found out is the key to challenging an appraisal and getting it to stick? That, that's a good question. A lot of the appraisals, they're not local. In Philadelphia, we are very dense. So we cannot use a mile radius for an appraisal. You are in a completely different neighborhood. So if they are not local, that's the number one thing. I know that they are not familiar with the property. And when I buy the property, I buy it as an appraisal. So I look at 0.25 miles. I want to know what's going on there. I run very tight comps. I, it's between three to five comps. If, if I don't have that, it's a, either is good thing or is a horrible thing. Now let me explain why. If it is bad, it's basically because nobody wants to buy there or if it's that good that I don't have comps because there's no inventory, but there's a high, high demand there. So I know my market's the palm of my hand, and that allows me to really understand what's going on. And when I send the information to the appraisal, I tell them exactly what type of finishes I use and why my numbers are that way. I want to jump in here real quick and uh, explain for those people listening to this, and because this is so powerful, this is so important, right? So when she mentions comps, right, we're talking about comparable sales. So what does another property sell for? Correct. That's how you know on a single family house anyway, that's how you know what your property is worth based on what other ones are. So you're saying if there are no good comps, if there aren't any properties around that you can say, hey, yeah, this is a similar property, that could be a very good indication that it's a the danger, right? So true story, one time I bought a, I bought a huge house up on the hill in this town that I was going to flip and I could not find any comps when I bought it. Couldn't find anything. And so I was like, well, you know, this is close enough. So I, anyway, I ended up buying the house. I ended up being the only flip I've ever like lost money on because I... The, the second thing was true. Like the first thing you said was true. There was just nobody interested in that type of property. I wish it was the other way. I wish it was just that there was no inventory, but this was 2012. There was a lot okay. of inventory. It just nobody wanted it. So anyway, I think, uh, I think that's just a brilliant point you make there about like, you've got to know the comps. If you've got to know, and if there are no comps, you need to ask yourself why. And don't assume yeah. it's because there's no inventory. Assume it's because they're probably you know, nobody wants that kind of property. Okay. So you, you knew the value because you ran it. You weren't just relying on somebody else. You were saying, no, I'm going to run my own comps. I'm going to look at the number. I'm pretty confident in that. I mean, knowing what a property is worth, the ARV is like one of the most important skills an investor can have. And you just walked us through exactly how to find that. You look at the comps, you make sure that it's within a you know quarter mile. If you can, uh, you know, recent sales, not something two years ago. Yeah, and absolutely. You're in Philadelphia. 
two, two major things, for example, that might apply to other markets is if, if the basement is finished, we're very dense here. The properties are next to each other. We don't have, you know, space in between. So we got to either create a uh, space going down by finishing the basement or going up by creating a roof deck. So it does make a lot of difference in one thing or another. And if there is a garage, we're talking a big, big difference there. So being aware of those, those differences, when you're buying and I run up the comps when I'm buying it. So I'm very confident that uh, I'll get the number that I want when the appraisal brings up their, their report. Yeah. I love that. There's something, let me jump in for people who are listening you may be a little confused, like, well, there's no comps. Is that good or bad? How do I know? You don't want to just guess, or you don't want to be hoping that you're right. Yeah. We, I talk about all the time, don't get addicted to hopium to where you're just <laughs> like, man, I hope this works out, right? <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people run their business that way and it doesn't work out. No. What you do is you look at the comps that there were, like the, you have to go back pretty far and you see how long they sat on the market for. If you had a really high day on market, like 100 days or so for houses to sell, and there's no recent comps, that's a really bad sign. It means nobody wants to buy over there, so nobody's bothering to sell. If the house is sold really quickly when they were selling, that's why you don't have a lot of comps now because nobody wants to move out of that neighborhood. It's a lot of high demand, and that's what Andressa was mentioning earlier. It's either really good or really bad. That's how you tell which way to go. Yeah. That's exactly it. I My number one thing is I own, if I'm rehabbing a house, I want to be in those neighborhoods that are 30 days or under days on the market. That's, that's exactly what I'm looking for. And if I am in an in a area or in a place where I'm not familiar, I do a lot of due diligence with a local realtor. And how do I know him? Because I look who sold the most in the area and I want that person. I, love I want that. that person to walk with me and let's do, let's go on what it's, what is for sale right now. Let me see what the competition it's using for their finishes. I want to know everything. So that's a homework that I do before purchasing the house that helps a lot. That is so good. And I just, I hear all the time that people have this impression that every realtor is the same. There's, I don't like realtors or they're fine or they're like a necessary evil, but it's not like, not everybody is the same at everything they do. And realtors who sell a lot of houses in general are much better at it because they get way more repetition. They have more experience. They know what buyers are looking for. They know what could go wrong and how to fix it when it goes wrong. Trying to find a realtor who doesn't sell houses very often, maybe does it part-time, maybe they're the cheapest one and you want, oh, they're all the same, so I'll go with the cheapest one, will cost mm. you so much more money in the long term. And Andressa, you're right on because if you find the realtor who does this all the time and they see potential problems that could come up, you don't have to know everything about everything. You just have to know the people that do. And I found that as a realtor all the time. People come work with me and they're like, oh my God, you are so good. I didn't know people could be this good. And I know that's because they didn't look. They just said, oh, I'll use my, my buddy, Bob. He's got his license. Exactly. Same, you know, very good point. Yeah. Cool. All right. So let's go over where you went from there. So you got that first, you, you said you got that first house. Mm-hmm. You, now you, you still own it, your Airbnb unit, which is awesome. We yeah. can talk about that later maybe. Uh, but you, tech, you took the home equity line of credit that you got, which is where you tap into your property or, you know, the equity and you mm-hmm. can which is one of the strategies I talk about in the book on investing in real estate with no one low money down, which is a way too long of a title for a book. But uh, one of the chapters <laughs> on HELOCs, home equity lines of credit and home equity lines of, or home equity loans. Anyway, okay. So what did you buy next? What did you get into? And then kind of walk us through your journey from there to where you are today. 
Sure. So the next thing that I did was partner up with somebody that did more than what I did. Because looking back, I overpay on my construction because I did not know what I did not know. And that yeah. was a big, big mistake. So I was not willing to do that again. So I partnered up with somebody that I, we brought the deal to the table and he brought the finance. And at the end, we, we split 50-50. And from there, started duplicating that money. That fund never went to my pocket. We put it back, back over and over again to buy other properties. And then we went for doing, you know, one property, then two at the same time, three, and then transitioning to new construction and larger developments. All right. There's so much in there I want to unpack. First of all, I love that your story includes what I tell people all the time. Like we do these webinars every week on Bigger Pockets, And one thing I constantly tell people is, and David, you tell the same thing. If you can find a really good deal on a property, you can find somebody to finance it or help finance it or bring the down payment. It's exactly what you did. Uh, yeah. what we, we talk a lot about is this thing we call the deal delta. It basically says to put together a deal, you have to have three things, knowledge and experience, uh, hustle and money. So those three things are needed, right? So knowledge or experience, however you want to call it, it's kind of the same thing because you get experience and knowledge. Anyway, hustle and money. So what you did is you brought the hustle and you brought the knowledge and experience and somebody else brought the money. You don't have to have all three of those things. You just got to have one or two yeah. uh, of them in order to put together a deal and have somebody else bring the rest. So anyway, I love that. Uh, and then you said you took the money, all the profit, and rather than spending it on a, you know, a trip to Cancun, you rolled it into the next deal. Yeah. And that's a discipline that a lot of people don't have. How did you, how did you I guess, overcome that temptation to just go and spend it instead of uh, reinvesting it? I was laser focused now because it, for five years, I did not take a penny. And I, and, and I knew exactly where, what I wanted to do with the, with the company. I wanted to scale and I needed to spend my time creating systems that would support that and creating the teams that I needed and specializing on the construction part of it or on creating, how can I create the biggest things that I have found the challenge was, was around contractors. So what can I do different here so I cannot get screwed over and over again, but instead create a win-win relationship with contractors that I really trust and we can expand. I have limited time. I have only 24 hours per day. So how can I delegate and create the team that have what I don't have, their strengths, and, and you know, we can benefit from each other. Yeah, that's fantastic. So let's talk about contractors a little bit, because I know today in your business, you do a lot of dealing with contractors. Yes. Um, what, what does that look like? I mean, like, how did you morph into that role? And what does that role look like today when you deal with contractors? Sure. Well, Liz Faircloth, my business partner and a good friend of mine, we did a personality test at first for our team and to really understand what our strengths and what we really suck at. And my strengths were on dealing with the contractors, managing the budget, the scheduling, the finishes, and making sure the, the projects were moving forward in a time manner. That was my, my strength. So I started developing systems that we can, not just on my projects, but for other people, how can we do that in a, in a systematic way where you're doing multiple, but you are in control of what's going on and not getting crazy and losing your hair while doing it because it can get pretty messy. 
Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So you mentioned Liz Faircloth, which by the way, Liz Faircloth was on episode 203 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. One of my uh, favorite people in the world, Matt and Liz Faircloth are a fantastic couple. Uh, they do a they ton are. of area. So yeah, you're partnered with them. You're working with them, which is awesome. So yes. all right. So very cool. I definitely recommend people go and listen to that one. So let's talk about kind of your, how you handle the construction management. Your uh-huh. business. So, first of all, what does a construction manager do? Well, it's, that's a good question because sometimes I, I got asked another day in a speaking event about that. And I was like, well, here's the thing. I have contractors, general contractors, and I manage them and they manage the subs and everything else. Because when you get to scale your business to five, 10, 15 deals at the same time, it's basically impossible for one person to deal with the, all the subs and, and invoices and all of that. So I manage the general contractors. So how do I find them is the, the key. First, I know my criteria. I know what I'm looking for. And the first thing that I tell people is that a quick tip, I go, to on the, I go on the MLS or Zillow, Trulia, whatever you have access, and I look at the properties that I like the quality of, and I figure out who did that. In Philadelphia, I can easily find that by looking at who pulled the permit. And I get in contact with that contractor and I schedule uh, you know, a meeting with them. Yeah. And I meet them at their job site, not online. Because that's going to tell me a lot about how they work, how he treats his employees, especially if he's on time. I arrive 10 minutes earlier all the time because I want to see if he's already there or not. Because that tells me a lot of how he deals with time. And and from there, make a lot of assessments about what's going on, how long this project is taking. I look at the finishes and the details will tell me a lot about how he runs his business. That's fantastic. I I love that. I mean, I'm just thinking about you walk in there and you're automatically going to see, are his employees hard at work getting stuff done? Or is everyone kind of hanging out, laughing, joking, screwing around? Are they communicating well with each other? Or is he bringing in subs that don't talk? So the painter's not communicating with the, the drywall guy. Like, cause you know, if you go in there and it's a tight run ship that they're more likely to hit the timelines that they give you. Whereas if everybody's kind of unfocused and not doing a very good job, they're not really paying attention to what they're doing. They're going to go over their timeline on all the jobs they have. And you don't have to worry about what he tells you because you're seeing it for yourself. That's what I love about your strategy. We get this question all the time. I'm sure Brandon gets it too. How do I find a good contractor? You know, and it's kind of like you got to be an FBI hostage negotiator to to (laughs) interview somebody to find out the the details of if they're good or not. None of us have that skill. It's better just to like you're doing go to their site and see how they work and, and get a read on them from there. Yeah. yeah, And then, and then from there, I have my three major things. Of course, I'm all about having your word and my word has value. If I shake your hand, that's what's happening. However, I want to have a contract with my three major addendums and my contract, my real estate attorney reviewed no, nah, it's not his contract. It can be his contract, but I'm going to review it as, as well. But yeah. I have my standard contract that I can use all the time. I prefer, but if he wants to do it, that that's fine. And then att- attached number one is a very detailed scope of work. Because believe you or not, sometimes people think that hardware mm-hmm. on the cabinet in the kitchen is not needed. Yep. Yep. Right. So I got to put it over there. Yeah. You got to put toilets in the bathrooms. Yeah. 
That's yep. that's basic. That's part of the job. <laughs> yeah. Second thing that I do is my finishes list. I know all my finishes already. I, I'm not in the design business. I'm not. I'm I'm a developer. I'm an investor. So I use the paint that I use on my first house is the same paint that I use now. I don't want to spend time on that. That's yep. basically it. So they know what type of finishes I'm looking for where to find the link, the picture, the amount, everything is there. And the third and most important thing for me is the payment plan. So it's divided. There is this, the deposit, this, the phases, and it runs like a, you know, any other bank. The bank won't lend it to me unless it's 100%. And even though if I sometimes it's just cash is our own funds, I run as if I am the lender as well. I won't pay until it's a hundred percent, not eighty, not ninety, a hundred percent, and that's it. I, I would say almost every single story I hear of an investor who says, "What do I do? My contractor ripped me off. They won't finish the job." I say, "Well, how much have you paid them?" And they always tell me the same thing: "I gave them all the money," yeah. or "I gave them almost all the money." Right. It's just, there's no incentive for that person to do the job the way you want once they've already been paid. Whereas if you wait until the job's done, you can pay them a little bit up front and then you pay Mm -hmm. them after their work is finished. Yes. There's a natural incentive because they want to pay their guys that are working on it. Now their guys are putting pressure on them. I want to get paid. Well, if you've already paid him, he doesn't need to go, he doesn't need to finish a job to get the money to pay the guy. You want to create that system where this person's thinking, I need to do X if I want to get Y. And if you give them X right away, you lost all your leverage. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and as you said, the guys are pushing him to to get paid. And I hear tons of stories. They're going to come up with me saying, yeah, X, Y, and Z is sick or this happened or that happened. But we're we're doing, you know, this is business and I can just make, you know, sometimes I might do a little bit because I build a relationship with that person and we're doing tons of business together. But if that's not the case, it doesn't cut. But my word is also very important. If the job is done, they need to get paid within 48 hours. So that's also something that I'm committed to. Otherwise, it's just not a good deal for both parties. You know what I find all the time is when I because I'm again, let me let me I'll review the three things you did right here and then explain what I'm going to say. So the detailed scope of work. Number one, you said you got to have a detailed scope of work, the finishes list of whatever it's going to be so they can, you know, know exactly what they're getting into. And then the payment plan. If you don't have those things in play, like that's how you go dramatically overboard on your on your you know, your budget uh, in a lot of ways. If you have those set ahead of time, it also takes a lot of the weirdness out of the conversation. Like how many times do I work with contractors where they're like, you know, it's Friday. They're like, Hey man, can I just get a bump? I, I you know, I just need to get paid. I got my contract. I got my guys. It's right. really easy when you have that document. Cause that, that's what changed everything for me. I'm managing was when I had that document and I, I'm like, they don't ask me because they know very clearly when the flooring is done and the grout is down and the sealer is on. <laughs> that's when you get $2,500. And so it's like, yeah, no problem. You can do that. You just got to stay. You might have to stay until 10 o'clock at night. To get, but you know what? They don't ask at that point. They know they got to stay till 12, 10 o'clock at night to finish that if they have to, if they're behind. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't have to tell them. That's them. It's like they're, they said they would get done at this time and this is when they get paid. It takes all the weirdness out of it. But yesterday, I, I was talking to a bunch of people about managing contractors and they were complaining about how you know, they struggle and be ripped off or whatever. And I was thinking about, uh, that Jocko Willink book, uh, Extreme Ownership. And uh, this book basically says like, when you're the boss, everything's your responsibility. And then I, yeah. I thought of, I think it was a story in that book. It might've been another book, but they basically said, 
if you have multiple employees that have constantly are like late on things or not delivering or not doing a good job, it's not the employee's fault. It's your fault because you're clearly managing incorrectly. So I would say the same thing for every investor out there. If you are constantly having problems with contractors, it's not the contractor's fault. You're doing a bad job managing contractors. So anyway, I love those three things. I love having that, you know, getting a detailed scope of work, the finishing list and the payment plan, and then always making sure you have the leverage in the payment plan. It's when you fall behind and that they're, they're ahead basically that they have no incentive to show up. Right. And you can get a very good idea on how quick they they process their, their stuff. Once I meet them and my job site for an estimate and I I give everything that they need. So I time how long do they take to get the estimates and if they approve, how long do they take to give me their W9? Because I don't start the job without that. How long do they take to put add me or my company? to their insurance as an additional insured. So all of that are going to give me a lot of, you know, feedback of how quick this person works. What do you mean the additional insured? I don't do that. What, what is that? So I always ask them to uh, give me a proof of insurance. So right at the bottom, they can add at no cost me and my company as an additional insured. It's just adding me there. Because in case if their insurance expired, I will receive notification as well. Ah, that's cool. What a great tip. I've never heard that, never done that before, but now I'm going to start. So that's very cool. Yeah. All right. So what about this? Let me, let me ask you about when I'm doing a project sometimes, you know, managing contractors, I might have a good detailed scope of work and a finishes list and a payment plan. And then Mm -hmm. they open up a wall and there's termite damage, or they pull up the floor and it's rotted. You know, like things come up in a rehab project. Yeah. How do they handle that? How do you handle that? What's your process look like for change orders? Sure. Well, I hate change orders in terms yeah. of, <laughs> hear, hear me out. Majority of my projects, they are full gut. So there's no such a thing as an unforeseen item because I get it gutted first Everything is open. And then I ask them to come to give me an estimate so they can see everything. But change orders are based on unforeseen situations that are not on the scope of work. They're not on my finishes. It just happened. They're not there. So if they're legit, of course, we, we move forward. But all, all change orders needs to be documented. If it is not documented and signed by both parties, it is just very confusing when you're doing multiple projects at the same time. And it needs to be, if I'm doing project management for another investor, it needs to be signed by that investor as well. So everything might, you might think, oh my gosh, it's so complicated. Actually not. Everything I do it online. So I use HelloSign or you can use DocuSign everything. It can be everything online, seamless, the, the contractor can sign it with his, the tip of his finger, as well as the homeowner and me, if I'm not the owner. That's fantastic. All right. So we're, you're talking about managing contractors. I'm wondering, how does that play into your investing strategy? I mean, are you, you say you do it for other people. You also, you also mm-hmm. do it for yourself. I'm assuming like, what does your overall today business look like? Like, what do you, like, what's that like? Sure. Majority of the projects that I'm managing currently, I am involved. I, I have ownership on those. Those are my, my primary. And we're doing larger development deals, uh, more new construction and doing things that 
we have found that doing a single family or doing three or six at the same time, it's I can leverage much more the supply, my time, and the general contractor skills if I'm doing multiple at the same time. So I start partnering up with other folks that are doing the same thing, both here in Pennsylvania and in New Jersey. Matt and Liz are my partners in New Jersey. And now I start, this is kind of like brand new. I start doing the construction management for apartment complexes that I will have ownership as well. But uh, Matt and Liz needed uh, somebody to step up on that area. So we kind of like share a couple of things there. And that's basically it. That's cool. That's cool. I love that you like found your niche and like something that you're really good at is construction management. And you're like, I'm going to use this as my thing like yeah. that. I'm world-class at like, you know, you sound like you're like probably one of the best, if not the best, like construction manager I've ever talked to. <laughs> you're like, this is what I do. And this is what I'm a rock star at. I'm going to use this to leverage into deals. Like, like this is how yes. I'm going to build financial freedom and wealth. Yeah. I'm really good at this. That's exactly what we do. For example, if you look at Matt Faircloth, he raises private money, yep. right? So we work as a team. He raised private money. Once he's done, the balls come to my court. And from that on, I take it to the final line. So that's, that's what we do. I love that. I love that. It's just so many people want to do everything themselves and it's not always a bad thing, right? But when you can put together a team and like that guy is the best, you know, to use, I'm going to, I'm going to steal David's thunder and be an analogy guy, right? That guy's the best at getting base hits. And that guy is the best at, you know, throwing a fastball and that guy's the best at catching in the outfield. Like that's what wins championships. It's mm-hmm. when you have a team of rock stars uh, that are good at individual things rather than trying to be a jack of all trades. I couldn't agree more, but I think that, Looking back, that was my biggest challenge. As a woman in this industry, I try, I did try to do everything on my own yeah. and, and prove that I could do it. But it gets to the point where you either stay still doing three, four deals at the same time and that's it, or you start delegating and growing personally. You got to hang out with people that are doing bigger deals and then yours became very small and really really understand how you spend the time i start spending more time knowing myself and what i'm good at what i like to do what i don't like or not good at yep. and really delegating it but that was that was a, a challenge it wasn't it didn't come easy to me yeah that's great advice in fact most people when i ask them why they haven't got started investing they give me the reasons but all the reasons are different ways of wording there's parts i'm not comfortable with and i can't get comfortable with it yeah right and if you just found someone who's comfortable with those parts and you just focus because nobody likes everything about everything like we're all different there's people that love to analyze deals they just want to talk about information and analyzation and it's almost as fun as actually doing a deal just to talk about it, that's, right? That's me, actually. Like, that's what I love. Like, I love analyzing and putting together deals. That's 100% true. Brandon will talk about exactly how uh, this make-believe thing would go. And it will be just as fun as if we did a real deal. And then he gets done. And I'm like, okay, so what's the next step? He's like, eh, I don't even know if I want to do it. Like, throw the whole thing together, right? And then you've got other people that all they want to do is network. They just love to connect people. Yep. They like to find this guy and this guy and bring them together. But actually, like, what do we do once they're together? They're like, I don't know. I don't want to do it. And they don't take action. Well, if you can find the people who are good at the things that you're not and be honest with yourself, like Andres is saying, that's what I love about what you're doing is you're humble enough to say, I know it's my ego that's trying to prove to the world, I'm a woman, I can do everything, but I'm really not good at everything. I'm good at this. 
and you partnered with people that are really good at the stuff you don't like doing. And I'm sure they were so glad to have you because who wants to manage construction? I mean, that's one of the <laughs> toughest parts, that right? Like, nuts, right? Yeah. I wish I liked something else. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, it's like property management. If you find somebody who's really good at property management, everybody wants them because God, that's horrible. Why would you? My, ever- <laughs> my wife loves property management. I mean, like that's why we wrote, she wrote the book on yeah. uh, rental properties is because like she loves that part and she's good at it. I hate that part. But oh like- God. You find people who are really good at certain things and there's somebody out there that's good at everything. I mean, like there's somebody for every role that you, you just got to find those people. Yeah. Like, find the person who likes doing book. Like there's somebody out there who loves doing book work. Like I think that's insane, but there's people who just <laughs> love sitting down with a pencil and a spreadsheet and running numbers. Like uh, oh, on God. keeping track of stuff. Yeah, no, that's yeah, not me. That's We're all like, that's the most boring dry part. Yeah, of but somebody case. gets done with their day yeah. of work and they're like, yeah, I feel so good. <laughs> Eight hours of book yeah, work. Unless oh. they're looking at a spreadsheet, they're not happy. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's oh, a God. box and I need to put a number in it. I so <laughs> badly want to do this. But yeah. see, Brandon, I bet that's why you and Heather built a good portfolio. Because if you had to do all the property management yourself, you'd have gotten three houses and said, screw this. I don't want to be a real estate investor. Yeah. I'm doing way too much stuff I don't like. And Heather would have probably never wanted to do it on her own either because she doesn't want to have to go like meet people, talk to people, analyze deals, put things together. So you get that marriage and that's where it all comes out. On that note, Andressa, I want to ask you, because you are good at something that very few people are good at, which is organizing and managing several projects from the construction aspect, do you have some tips for anybody who wants to do the same? How do you get good at keeping all these little balls in the air with all the moving pieces flowing smoothly? Well, that, that's a good question. If I knew that a long time ago, I would have done it. I think that the three tips that I give it to you guys, the scope of work, the finishes, and, and the payment plan, it can, it can be a good start. But I think my number one thing, if I look back, partner up with people that don't know what you, you do, and then learning from it. I was very straightforward with my first contractor. I said, hey, I'm not going to be here bugging you, but I'm going to ask a couple of questions because I'm looking to learn. So if you don't mind explaining why you're digging the basement and just under, what is underpinning? Would you mind explaining that to me? And I'll take a couple of pictures of the process. And he was actually like, sure, I love to. Like, I can talk about this all day long because I really enjoy doing construction. So that was a good thing for me. Another tip that I would say that always helped me is to look at the home inspections. I start building my scope of work and I constantly added things based on the home inspection. They, mm-hmm. they put a, a lot of things out there that are very valuable. And if I'm meeting an inspector, a city inspector here, I always want to build a relationship with them. And I have a great relationship with those here in Philadelphia. Somebody might be hearing me and saying, this lady's nuts. Well, you got to do what you got to do. It's not, it's very respectful, but I want, I want them to tell, yeah, tell me what everything that is wrong here so I can add to my scope of work. And then next time you're going to come here and say, oh, it's Andressa's project. And he's going to like, oh, looks great. Bye. And that's exactly what happened. They, you build that trust and they know they are doing the right thing. Gary Vaynerchuk says you should find someone really good at what they do and work for them for free. Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I did that. Hmm. I did that. And I will do it all over again. I, I get a chunk of my time and I say, how can I do? I'll do whatever. What do I need to do? Do I need to clean toilets or you sit down with me for an hour? 
I am the type of person that if I am looking to get the knowledge, I don't care what do I need to do. It's Saturday, it's Sunday, whatever it is. I did door-to-door sales. That's the hardest thing that yeah. somebody can do. I think my skin got thicker so much to the point I could care less about what, what people say or what they do. But I am eager to get the knowledge and I will do whatever. Yeah, that's fantastic. Really, really. I love that mindset. And I think people need to like rewind the last minute of this show and just listen to that mm. again because it's so good. All right. So, but I want to move on because we had a lot more to talk about today. And I want to head over to the next segment of the show, our deal deep dive. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, to get six months of rent ready for $1. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. 
So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. All right, with that, let's get to the deal deep dive. This is the part of the show where we dive deep into one particular deal that you've recently done. Uh, so, Andressa, you got something in mind? You got a property in mind? Yes. Okay, so first I question. Do. We got like eight questions we're going to fire at you real quick for details. Number one, oh, what kind of property is it and where was it? It, it is a triplex. It was a, a mixed use, a candy store at the bottom and two units at the top. And we converted to a three residential unit. All righty. Next question. How did you find this deal? I was doing a rehab on the same street and I saw lots of garbage bags putting being put outside and some furniture and we started getting in contact and that was a state sale. So we got in contact with the attorney that was uh, doing the project, helping them out with, with the, 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 the house and it was an off market deal. I love it. Love it. How much did you pay for it? We paid $230,000. All right. How did you negotiate that price? Well, they wanted a little bit more. Of course, they're in, in South Philadelphia, a triplex there. However, South Philadelphia, born and raised. Oh, my God, <laughs> where I spent most of my days. I think it's West Philadelphia. Oh, you're right. It is. Anyway. <laughs> shows, shows how little Brandon knows about Philly. Go ahead, Andres. So, In West Philadelphia. Yeah, you're right. Okay, fine. <laughs> Basically, uh, we needed to do a full gut there. There was no way that we could savage anything. So we explained to them the situation. And there were a ton, a ton of things inside. There were like furniture, lots of candy store, the, the furniture for the candy, where you put the candy and all of that stuff. They had like collections and collections of glasses and different stuff. So there a lot. So that, that's how we were able to negotiate the price down considering all, all the things that we had to do. Cool. How about funding it? How'd you pay for this thing? We use a lender. We, we got the money down and we got a lender and 75%, um, okay. LTV and a hundred percent of the rehab. What kind of loan, like what kind of lender was that private money or was that a, uh, like a, just a bank bank. All right. Okay. Cool. You said you converted it. Is, yes. Okay. what did you do with it after you converted it? So when, when that's a very important topic that I don't want to forget a very important thing over here that we do find deals that need to be converted, but the conversion process takes a long time. It might take a long time, so what we did, once we put it under contract, we also had an agreement between the seller to start the zoning process right away. So that shaved a lot of our time. So we went through the zoning process here because it didn't make sense to keep the bottom commercial and went through the you know, community meeting. And there was a funny story there because this property has a roof stack. 
and one of the members of the community raised his hand and he was like, are you guys looking to keep the chicken coop? And we were like, what are you talking about? And I look at the board and I said, I have no idea what he's talking about. And then he, the guy started laughing hysterically. He's like, sir, that's not a chicken coop. That's called pilot house. That's for the roof deck. Oh, funny. I was like, well, whatever. We passed the, the, <laughs> the zoning board and converted to a triplex, everything separate, all three different units. Nice. So and how much did you put into that deal on the rehab? So the rehab, we put about 200K into okay. it. Okay. All right. So what was the outcome like then? Like, what was it worth? What did you end up doing with the deal afterwards? You hold well, on to it? Well, guess what happened Okay. <laughs> when we got the appraisal. It came Again. in low. I knew it, came <laughs> it came in low. It came at 560. So I was like, all right, here we go again. So I sat down one more time, did exactly what I told you guys. And here's the thing. You don't know if they're going to accept it or not, okay? But you got you to gotta try. You got to be nice to the appraisal and say, hey, yep. I'm not, I don't want to make you wrong or anything. But this is what I have found here. They were from Harrisburg. No idea was Southfield. They were calling Southfield a neighborhood. So I was like, nah, mm. not really. Anyway, <laughs> they, came, they evaluated and came back at 675 Wow. $115,000. Yeah. That's in, that's amazing. All right. Yeah. So you re you got it appraised. Uh, you, so you bought it for two thirty. you put in 200 K. So you got three thirty, mm-hmm. four thirty, whatever. Then it gets appraised for six seventy five after you challenged it, which is awesome. Yeah. Then did you re, is that the idea you refinanced it then into just yeah. a new loan, got all your money back out again? Yes. That's awesome. That's like the bird deal of the century. I love that. Very, and now you just holding on to it. You guys are yeah. taking care yeah. of it, getting cash flow. How much yes. money are you making from the chickens and the eggs are laying on the <laughs> Oh, God. That's funny. That's funny. All right. So what did you learn? Uh, maybe that was David's question. Well, I stole it. Sorry, David. What did you learn from this deal? <laughs> well, you got to be very, like having the courage to be, pers- like the perseverance in this deal, because, you know, there's so many hoops and it was not like a smooth deal where you, you make an offer, they accept the offer, and everything goes well. There's so many challenges. I had to change contractors in the middle. I had to really pull things off. So there were different, different types of, of learning process. But the latest one was about the appraisal again, that everything can be negotiable. Everything. Yeah. That's fantastic. What's cool about the appraisal thing that I never really thought about too much. So, you know, like when somebody gets a job, like let's say you get hired somewhere, they say, yes, we would like to hire you. We'll make you an offer of, you know, 80K a year. There's zero downside at all of saying, you know, I really wanted 90K because worst case, they're going to say, no, you're at 80 and you're like, okay, I'll take it. Right. There's only upside. I mean, unless you were a jerk about it, you're like, you know, (laughs) you try to like bluff your way and say, no, I won't take the job. But like there's zero upside. I mean, sorry, zero downside to try to negotiate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a real estate deal, there's really no downside to after an inspection, trying to negotiate a little bit lower as well. Because the worst they can say is no. Uh, you're like, okay, fine, I'll still buy the deal. Right? So, exactly. there, you know, granted, there are probably some, you know, you don't want to like make people upset and not want to work with them. But like, there's zero downside sometime to try to negotiate a little more. And that's what's cool about the appraisal thing. There's absolutely zero downside other than maybe the hour it takes you to put together a nice presentation to try to challenge an appraisal. Exactly. If it comes back higher, great. And if they say no, screw you. Well, whatever. You, you know, you, there was 
You wasted an hour. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I love that. So I want, I want to just pull through a couple of things from this deal that I love. Why David and I love the Burr strategy. This, if you don't know what Burr is, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. It's like you found an off market nasty property. This works really well. You got a good deal on it because it was nasty. You put a bunch of money into it, fixed it all up, and then pulled all that money out. So now you can go repeat the process again and again. And it works on single family, works on duplex, triplex, fiveplex, hundredplex, mobile home parks, mobile homes, you know, anything. Like it just yeah. works and people do this. And uh, I, I, I just love the strategy. And people are saying, well, well, you know, I don't have any money for it. Great. Be really good at finding deals. Bring in a partner to fund the deal who's good at raising the money. And I, I don't know where to find deals. Figure that out. Like every single part of this you can do and people listening to this can do they just got to have the right mindset and the right like attitude of, yeah, I'm going to do this, right? Jim Rohn says, if you really want something, you'll find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. hundred uh, percent. Who found a way. So very, yeah, very Find cool. the person that was in your situation. That person yeah. has already the answer. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. There you you got to be on the right place. Join Facebook groups, listen to the yep. podcast. Yep. You got to do your due diligence. How much of a role do you think all those no's you heard over the years played in the way you handle these things where you go say, well, what if I challenge the appraisal? What if I get a contractor to come down on his price? Like all these little ways that you've looked at being a better negotiator, do you feel like that happened because you got thicker skin from going after things and being told no a lot? I do. I do. And I was selling Verizon business to business. So I got to talk to business owners. And every time that I got a chance, I asked them, Tell me, how did you start? What, what, what was your story? And that like, he met me like 30 seconds ago and all of a sudden mm. he's already saying, Hey, here's, here's some food or here's whatever. Yeah. It was usually a restaurant. So I ate for free all the time. <laughs> so it was funny, but I do because sometimes I got doors slammed on my face. Literally. You, sometimes, sometimes people are having a hard time. And I had to deal with that rejection at that time. Very hard. First, I thought there's something wrong with me. What is wrong with me? What is wrong with the person? Or So you got to swallow and keep going. And then all of a sudden, you just hear that no and say, okay, that's one more. So I'm yep. getting closer to my yes. So on the book, Never Split the Difference, yep. Chris Vox, he always talk about like getting the no, get the no first. And that's when the negotiation starts. So yeah. I'm fine with no's. It's just the, the value that I give it to it is just like, okay, fine. Now let's start a negotiation. Wow. So good. So good. All right. Well, let's head over to the next segment of the show, which we lovingly refer to as our fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, let's get to the fire round. These questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums. These are real life or real estate investors on the Bigger Pockets forums who are asking these questions, and we're going to see and address what you got to say about it. Number one, I'm curious to know how hard or how easy it is to find competent and efficient architects. Like, what do I look for if I need an architect? Well, Competent, it really depends on what you're referring to competent, right? I think you can use the same thing as uh, the contractors. Mm -hmm. For example, if I'm looking at a property, I look around who did those properties around me. Well, who was that architect? So I'm looking for projects that I feel, okay, this has a good layout. Who did this project? So my criteria will determine a good match and not the other way around. 
That's great. Good. Okay, next question. I invest in a small city that's had a population of 45,000 for the past 50 years. Appreciation is slow, houses sit for a long time on the market, and there's not a lot of industry in town. This violates a lot of conventional wisdom, but I absolutely love investing there. What do you think of investing in a market like this? <laughs> well, find your niche. Are people coming to the to the your town? For Airbnb, for example, this is the new thing for me. I feel that Airbnb, it's not tied to any local or national economy. It's global. People come in and out. You can create a very good experience in your town and bring people in. That that might be the keys. Otherwise, there's a book written by a guy called David Green about investing out of state that you can check it out. Nah, it's a lame book. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> it does a good, Very it, nice. That's the best answer I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that sounds a lot like my market that I invested in, Grace Harbor, Washington, for a long time. And I still do invest there. Like a lot of my best deals are in this town that has not grown. In fact, it's shrunk. But it just, like I learned what that niche is. I learned how to make it work. And I figured it out. And now I make really good cash flow in that area. Yeah. And so like almost, I always say like every town in America, every town in America has real estate investors. You just figure out what works there. Like, or go somewhere that actually works for whatever it is you're trying to do. So, all right, number three, I want to rent out, speaking of short-term rentals and Airbnb, oh, cool. I want to rent out my basement apartment as a short-term rental. What features should I have to attract the best guests? First, you need to ask yourself, is that a good location? And it really depends. It really depends how close you are from uh, public transportation, the attractions, what's going on around you. Same thing. You got to look at the comparables. Are other people doing Airbnb in your area? How is the legislation? Is it allowed? Is it not allowed? There's so many question marks that need to be answered first. So the market analysis is my first thing that I look at Airbnb. If those are no, 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 I don't really care if your sheets look great and you have like sound is amazing, but the location really sucks. People are not going to come. How far you are yeah. from the airport, for example, people are not going to come. So that will be my first thing. Look at the market. Okay. Any, uh, anything inside the property that you think like does having an office help like a desk and a place to yes. work or does that not really help to like, what, what are things like that, that have you've seen work? Yes. So I have a, again, I'm like all about spreadsheets and all the <laughs> things that I gotta, I gotta have, but a hundred percent Airbnb has a future there that it tailors to uh, business travelers. So if you do have a desk, a lamp, a uh, high internet uh, speed, also facilitates things a lot and will attract those people. But the house needs to be completely furnished with everything that one person will want it to have. And on top of that, the touch is what the host will give it, which is a guide, a personal guide. So I put them, hey, go to this place here to have the brunch. And you know what I like most about it? This dish. It's my favorite. You gotta try. And, and, you know, so they have an experience. That's my number one thing. They got to have an experience. Otherwise, they're going to stay in a hotel. This is really good advice. Really, really good advice. You should write a book on this. Okay, last question. <laughs> I'm a new investor and I see a lot of conflicting advice about getting a mentor. What's your best advice for finding a mentor who can show me the business? That's a great question. 
I paid for a lot for my mentors and I recover every single penny. I'm not saying to people that they should pay thousands and thousands of dollars. That was my personal choice and I recover every single thing and much more. But here's the thing. A lot of people are saying, hey, you want to be my mentor? It takes time to be somebody's, you know, yeah, to somebody yeah, to mentee. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of time. So what is the exchange there? What are you bringing to, to, to the table? 100%, you're going to either bring something to the table or pay somebody something for their time if they want. Some, some majority of the mentors that I want don't have the time to yeah. be mentors. So you got to partner up with somebody. That was my advice. Bring the deal to the table. Partner yep. up with somebody that is willing to share with you the entire process on the area that you are looking to get. If somebody comes to me and say, hey, can you mentor me in wholesaling? Nope, I am not the right person for you. So number one is what exactly do you want to receive information about? And then hunt those people that you're looking to to follow. Ah, Fantastic answer. Really, really good. All right. We got to head over to the next segment, the final segment of the show, which we call our Famous Four. Let's get to the world famous, Famous Four. Number one, Andressa, what's your favorite real estate book? Hey, it's not about any real estate strategy. It's about negotiation, but uh, it's the book about Never Split the Difference by Chris Ross. I really think that that's a game changer for in, in real estate. If you understand that, you you are ahead of the game. Great. And we did interview Chris Voss on the Bigger Pockets podcast. It was at show 260. So go to biggerpockets.com slash show 260 as soon as you're done listening to this episode and go listen to that one. Like Chris really brought the goods on that show. It was so good. So yeah, very, very good book. Cool. Very good real estate book. Even though it's not about real estate, it's a real estate book because it helps us in our real estate business. Yes. It's funny you mentioned that because I've been listening to Chris Voss the last three days in a row on YouTube. Like yeah. every speech that he's been giving, listening to all of it and practicing it in my head for uh, my real estate agent business, how to negotiate better. Okay. Do you have a favorite business book other than nego- Never Split the Difference? Yeah, I have two. The number one is Traction mm, yep. by, let me get Gino. Wickman. And the number two that I'm really obsessed about, it's called The Code of Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lakhani. It's traction, but most on the spiritual side, awareness side that really helps, you know, you center, uh, center yourself. Really good. You know, if I had to guess, I had not heard of that book, by the way. So I'm going to add that to my many lists of books. But uh, Traction, if I had to guess what book you were going to say, it would have been Traction. Like, because like Traction is one of those books that's just like, here's how you organize and keep super straightforward and get your business just crushing it. Like, it's like an encyclopedia of how to run a scalable, like sizable, good business the right way without stress. Yes. Uh, fantastic book. And it's exactly what this whole show has been about. Like yeah. when you're being the contractor, stop winging it. Like have these three things you need. You got your contract, you got this, you got your employees. Here's how you motivate them. I love that you said that. Yeah, it's just, it's exactly what I would think you would say because it's how you run <laughs> so your life. So predictable. No, no, in a good way. Like <laughs> just so many people struggle. Like so many people struggle with knowing how to run a business. Like they can figure out how yeah. to buy 
rental or buy a flip or manage a rehab as a one-off thing. But how do you run a business, which is yes. what you have to do if you want to grow a sizable portfolio of any kind of real estate. Or and same thing with the GCs though. You can find a yep. lot of people that can swing a hammer, but yes. they have a hard yes. time running a business or running multiple jobs. They mix the money and then they get very confused. Yep. Yep. Very, very, very common, with, especially with contractors. Cool. All right. Number three, David. Number three, what are some of your hobbies? Well, I love dancing and that's something that I haven't done a long time, but I started doing it and I started 2019 dancing a lot. Nice. So this year, that's what I'm doing. I'm well, scheduling time with myself oh, and showing up. That's awesome. What yeah. kind of dance? What kind of dancing? Salsa. Really? Yeah. In Brazil, we don't dance salsa. We, don't, we dance samba, but I, I like salsa. All yeah. right. Well, normally when we have a person on the podcast here who's like a, a no. fighter, you know, like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter, I always yeah. challenge them to a fight. So with you, when we ever have like a bigger pockets conference someday in the future, I'm coming. It's also dance. I'm um, totally down. All right. I'll be on stage. All right. I'm not going to fight you, but I will do, I will salsa. <laughs> What's the dancing show called that everybody watches? Dancing with the stars. stars. That's the one Brandon always uses. It's like, oh, I couldn't I, buy a house because I was watching Dancing was that, yeah, with the Yeah, I used right? it to buy <laughs> Oh, God. We Maybe should do a, like, previous Bigger Pocket podcast guest, Dancing with the Stars dance <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Right? <laughs> it's a dance-off. It's a dance-off. And off. Brandon right. will be the partner that they all have to use because he's so good at dancing <laughs> with everybody. <laughs> I spent many countless, hour, countless hours watching and dancing with the stars on my couch with nachos in my face. All right, number four, what separates successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started? I thought a, a lot about this uh, and what comes out, keep coming to my head is just awareness. Awareness of who you are, awareness of where you want to be and what's the gap, what's the plan to fulfill that gap. I think that being aware, being present, if you're with somebody, be with somebody, be where your feet at and period. Because if you're laser focused and you have a plan, there's no way things are going to get, you know, on your way. You're just going to achieve it no matter what. All right. Perfect. That's beautiful. Tell us where can people find out more about you? Sure. So I have a podcast called The Real Estate Investor Show. So people can go to www.therealestateinvesther.com and find and me there. That's a clever name. Real Estate Invest Her. That's fun. Yes. Clever. Oh, please. Look at you. But yes. the guys also can listen and participate. That's totally fine. But that's Target for the ladies. There you go. It's perfect. All right. Well, definitely everybody check out that show. We will put links to all that in the show notes as well. Biggerpockets.com slash show 314. And Andressa, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, guys. It was a pleasure. That was beautiful. This is David Green for Brandon. I still David's questions. Turner signing off. <laughs> You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. 
Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.